Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And this week on the show, we have Betsy back again, as mm -hmm. promised, this time to talk about what all runners need to know about their pelvic floor. You know, that muscle group that's like right smack in the middle of your body and has a lot to do with how your legs and your torso move. Mm-hmm. Super important stuff. Very important stuff. So we're glad for that. But stick around after that for the latest from the world of running, including the USA Track and Field Road Mile Championships. Always a fun one. The Drake Relays and Pen Relays. Got mm -hmm. the double stack for you there. As well as a new 100K World Record. It's going to blow your mind. And <laughs> I would crazy. love for everyone listening right now to think in your mind for just a moment. Predict what pace do you think he ran for, for over six hours? <laughs> 100 kilometers. Uh -huh. What pace? This is a new world record. It's okay. Crazy. Now that you've got that in your head, just remember that the first thing you need to do is go to a to z running.com and look for the word follow because then you won't miss anything else that we might be sharing outside of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And we put all those updates in a digest, so you're only getting an email about once a month. We're not trying to cram it down your inbox, you. if you will. <laughs> awesome. Well, we love to hear from you. We love to connect with you in all different kinds of platforms. And one of them is YouTube. You might be watching on YouTube right now. And we appreciate our new listeners over at Caitlin Tui Fans who wrote this. Glad I saw this channel. Such a great pod podcast. So underrated. Well, thank you. I def uh, definitely subscribed and followed. And thanks, guys, for talking about Caitlin Caitlin's recent race and defending and believing in her. We sure do. Uh, and we are fans of Caitlin too and look forward to covering more of her running career. Also, underrated, we have like a 100% five-star rating. So how can we <laughs> get a better rating? Just not very rating? many people have rated. So if you haven't rated yet, we, we would love for you to rate and subscribe to the A to Z Running Podcast to help us grow. So thank you to Caitlin Tui fans for joining us at A to Z Running. Speaking of helping grow... And grow stronger and healthier, ProTech is helpful. Yeah, ProTech is helpful. We have gotten a lot of great tools from ProTech, from recovery tools to strengthening tools like bands. And you can get a discount at their website using the code ATOZ20. So that's A to Z20 for 20% off. 20% off. Don't miss that great discount. Absolutely. Well, let's get on to our main topic. As promised, this week, you're going to learn more about your body and how it works. Did you know everybody has a pelvic floor? And many of us don't know what it is and how it functions and what things can go awry if we're not paying attention to the clues that our body gives us about the pelvic floor. And to join us today in this conversation, we have Betsy Petrie Johnson. She is a PT and an orthopedic clinical specialist, and she has certifications in postpartum corrective exercises, certifications in functional movement system, and functional manual therapy. She's a triplet mom who has founded and developed Mama Made Strong, which is a postpartum recovery program that we'll link to at a to z running.com. Today, we interviewed Betsy about the pelvic floor. 
It's amazing how so many of us know so very little about this muscle muscle group that's so important. Everybody has a pelvic floor, so you don't want to miss a chance to learn more about this important muscle group. Let's talk to Betsy. Hi, Betsy. Welcome back to the A to Z Reading <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure for sure, because we just had an awesome conversation last week about glutes. And it was yes. super informative. We've gotten some great feedback already. That's and super. today we're going to do an extension of that because we had mentioned the pelvic floor in our previous conversation. And I have been talking to people recently realizing that many people don't know what the pelvic floor is or what it does. So I think it's a very valuable conversation and we're so eager to have you on the show yet again. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to talk about pelvic floors with you. <laughs> Yeah, this is your expertise. Can you tell our audience a little bit about how this came to be? Um, so honestly, like when I was in physical therapy school, uh, we didn't really talk a whole lot about pelvic floors. I, I kind of, my understanding was you have a pelvic floor. Everyone has a pelvic floor. You should be able to feel your pelvic floor contract. And if you want to know anywhere about pelvic floors, you go talk to those people over there. Those people are pelvic floor specialists and you can go hang out with them. And I was like, no, thanks. Who wants to do that? Right? Like nobody. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, I can feel my pelvic floor contract and I don't have any continence issues and I don't have any sexual dysfunction. And so therefore my pelvic floor must be fine. And I'll let those people over there keep doing their pelvic floor therapy because I'm not interested. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then I had kids and I couldn't rebuild, like I could not build strength after my kids were born and I couldn't figure out why. And so I took a deep dive into understanding what changes with pregnancy and postpartum bodies in order to figure out how to rebuild myself personally. And then I went, oh my gosh, like I had no idea about so much of this stuff. And if I had no idea, and I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of my body at that point in life, how many other people have no idea, you know, mm-hmm. and for a lot of people, pelvic floor function, it's, it works reflexively. It just naturally follows along with other muscles. And a lot of people don't need to give it some thought, but a lot of people also experience issues like incontinence or like sexual dysfunction, pain with sex, pelvic pain, um, even back and hip pain um, have a big pelvic floor component because the muscles that are the pelvic floor, basically, if you think of your pelvis like a bowl, the muscles of the pelvic floor and their muscles, they contract and relax, just like all of our other skeletal muscles, they close the bottom of that bowl. So if you're a woman, they have a sphincter control of your urethra and your anus, and they also surround your vagina. If you're a man, then they have sphincteric, sphincteric control for your urethra and your anus, and you don't have a vagina, but you still have a pelvic floor and they still have sphincter function, but they also are a big part of the deep stabilizing part of your core. And they provide this upward lift that's different from the sphincter closing. And that upward lift is a really big part of, um, of what our core, our deepest core function is. So I'll tell you a little story. Um, when I met my husband, he was very into rock climbing and I was very curious about rock climbing. And I was like, yes, let's go, let's do it. I wanna do this with you. And so he was teaching me to rock climb and he had this really good friend whose advice on climbing was always engage your core. And I was like, 
dude, like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't know what you're saying, you know? (laughs) And in retrospect, now that I understand about my pelvic floor, essentially that's what he was saying is if you start from your pelvic floor and you lift up from your pelvic floor, you're engaging your abs and everything is kicking on. I'm like squeezing my glutes as I do this, but everything is like kicking on and contributing. And that stability and that upward lift is what helps you get to the next hold, you know, or what have you, whatever it is that you're doing. Like if you're sprinting, if you're, you know, even just going for a jog, it needs to participate. And you don't want to overthink it with something like running because you certainly don't want to be holding it on all the time. But then when you really think about it, there is no muscle that you want to fire all the time. Like that would cause painness, pain, painness. Is that a word? <laughs> that would cause pain, tightness. <laughs> my, my mouth got ahead of what I'm saying, but it caused pain and tightness and dysfunction to hold any muscle on all the time. And so the same thing is true of your pelvic floor. You want it to be able to contract. You also need it to be able to relax. And whichever one you're particularly good at, you probably need to learn to be good at the other one also. Yeah, but your pelvic floor is like a hammock that kind of closes that the bottom of that bowl and runs between your hips and it shares muscles with your hips. So hip function is really closely connected to pelvic floor function. And I mean, like I was saying before about your abs, it's also really closely connected to your ab function. It's also really closely connected to your glute function. So anything that disrupts any of those can disrupt pelvic floor function. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some hip issues. And so I saw a pelvic floor specialist and at that point I did not know that, that that could be related. Like I didn't know. And I bet a lot of listeners are, are tuning in and thinking about this and they haven't heard that it can be related to your functional movement. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit more how it's related to, to other muscle groups? Um, well, so it likes to contract with your abs and with your glutes. And it really is like the bottom of your trunk. Like it is, it's providing, um, contracting and relaxing from the bottom of your trunk. And so when you're doing something like going from sitting to standing, you need more trunk stability to stand up than you do to sit. Therefore, you need more pelvic floor contribution to stand up than you do to sit. Um, You need more trunk stability to go from standing on two legs to standing on one leg. Therefore, you need more pelvic floor contribution to stand on one leg than you do to stand on two legs. And so there's certain things where like we think like or like something that requires exertion, like lifting a heavy weight, picking up your kid, getting to that next climbing hold, anything where you're really engaging where you need more trunk stability or more core control, your pelvic floor needs to kick on. But for more people in the population than need it to kick on, more people need it to relax. So a lot of us kind of stand with our bumps tucked underneath of us because it takes less um, like muscle activity to stabilize when you kind of tuck under and you're relying on your ligaments to kind of hold you in that position. But you also kind of have to squeeze that pelvic floor to keep you in that position. And if you stand with your bone tucked under you a lot, then those muscles get tight and they never practice elongating. And so just like you would never spend all day with your biceps tightened, spending all day with your pelvic floor tightened causes a whole 
like course of events to happen also, you know, like that not being able to relax means that you don't have as much ability to contract, which makes it weak, which can cause any of the other things that we typically think of as pelvic floor issues like sexual dysfunction or incontinence issues, but it can also cause things that we don't necessarily think of as pelvic floor issues like hip pain or back pain or you know even, even issues in your trunk up into your neck. I mean, everything is stacked on top of your pelvis, essentially. And I use the term stacked loosely, but you know, like it's all got to build on, on itself. And so if your pelvic floor isn't contributing from the bottom up, or it's contributing too much, or it's contributing on one side and not the other, how does that affect the rest of your trunk? How does that affect the position of your head over your neck? You had asked me before we started recording about... Um, like their connection between your jaw and your pelvic floor. So if you think of um, like your pelvic floor muscles as running horizontally, right? So does your diaphragm and so does your glottis that helps you with swallowing and with voice regulation and things like that. And so if you hold tension in one of them, it's a pressurized system and you're likely holding tension in the other two, or at least in one of the other two. And so if you're somebody who like has chronic headaches or um, TMJ issues, or you're always clenching your jaw, you are probably also always clenching your pelvic floor. And usually if you're holding tension in your jaw, you, your posture is with your head out in front a little bit because it makes it easier for you to hold that tension there than it does if your neck is more centered over, or your head is more centered over your shoulders. That takes some of the tension out of your jaw. But when you do that, you're also kind of, I mean, you can just feel it even in sitting as your head comes forward, you start to put pressure down. And so in response to that downward pressure, you start to kind of tighten up and resist it. And so it causes a, you know, reciprocal effect in your pelvic floor. And so that's kind of how they're connected is like, they're basically opposite ends of that pressure system. And you got to take tension out of one to take tension out of the other. And it might be like, you might have pelvic floor symptoms and you change your head position to change your pelvic floor symptoms, or it could be the reverse. You're having jaw issues and you have to learn how to relax your pelvic floor in order to take that tension out of your jaw. So it's just all connected. <laughs> all connected. And it's so fascinating how, how it is too. And it, but it makes so much sense that you're talking about stacking and that was a good visual for me, imagining my body stacked and I can already now identify different periods of time and different ways that my, I don't stack and you know, how that has caused me problems. And, mm -hmm. um, with, with running, I think too, cause we get so tired, you know, when we do long distance running, if we're mm -hmm. not concentrating on having the ability to, to activate as, as you say, from using our, um, pelvic floor as an example, like either contracting all the time and causing us to tense our whole body, probably our shoulders yeah. hurt when we're running too, maybe right. and like right. probably there's a lot going on. Right. Um, or, or we're, we're not, and we're, would you be sitting back? Like if your if your pelvic floor wasn't contributing, would you be like sitting back on your stride or what would that look like? So people who hold tension in their pelvic floor don't necessarily have strong pelvic floors they, because they're staying tight all the time. Muscles are strong when they can relax and contract. 
And so going, being able to go through that whole range of motion, which is why mobility is, has such a key role, helps us to have better strength because you can move through that range. So if you can build power through this range, through a longer range versus through a short range, you can understand how there's more power behind that longer range than the shorter one. So with something like your pelvic floor, if it's already contracted, you've only got so much more power left to give. Whereas if you can relax it and contract it, then you can generate more power behind it. So when you're somebody who holds tension in your pelvic floor, you're more likely to run with more of like an upright posture and, and probably with your ribs kind of out in front of you flared to the front, you know, because it, um, you're trying to be upright, but you're being upright from the top half and the bottom half is, is so upright that, uh, that your pelvic floor isn't getting a chance to relax. If you were somebody who your pelvic floor didn't contribute enough to your stride, it would probably be that you would lose a lot of, um, like your, your gait pattern wouldn't be very efficient. It, you would probably have a lot of extra motion, whether that's like twisting side to side or tilting, you would probably have an ineffective stride because you're not coordinating that power. Kind of like if you can't get a good supinated foot to push off from, you have this sloppy pronated foot that has too much motion and has an inefficient push off. So kind of that same concept, but applied to your pelvis instead of your foot. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And I am remembering now one of your reels that was talking about the connection with your feet and your pelvic floor. Can you talk to our audience about that? Sure. So your pelvic floor actually shares a nerve root with your feet. So like if you curl your toes, everybody curl your toes, you should be able to feel your pelvic floor contract, right? If you relax your pelvic floor, I'm sorry, if you relax your toes, you should be able to feel your pelvic floor lower, okay? And so that's that aspect of your core, or that's that aspect of your pelvic floor that isn't the sphincter part. That's the lifting up part that kind of helps really give that stability to your core. And so there's so many ways other than the connection to that nerve root that your feet and your pelvic floor work together. Because if you think about your leg like a stick, your, your foot is driving one end of it and your hip is driving the other end of it. And your pelvic floor muscles and your hip muscles are some of the same. They're not entirely the same, but pelvic floor muscles are hip muscles and hip muscles are pelvic floor muscles. So it's got to drive the top of the stick and where your foot is affects what's going on in your hip and how your hip works affects your foot. So they're both, they're so interconnected. One can cause issues in the other going up the chain or down the chain. Mm. So... Yeah. I'm going to link to that, that reel okay. that you created. Cause that was super helpful for me to understand that. Um, and the, the supination and pronation, how that all can, can tell us things about our body and what's going on with our pelvic floor, which many of us, you know, we're, we're listening and we're like, okay, yeah. Like I hold tension in my jaw. That's something that I didn't realize could be affecting, um, or could be affected by my pelvic floor. And then you talked about coordination with your, with your abs. How do you learn how to, um, to use your pelvic floor and coordinate it with your other muscles? Um, so I think that when, when, if you're not sure what your pelvic floor is doing, like to go back to really basic, slow, simple movements to kind of turn things on, whether that's your pelvic floor itself or whether that's the connection between your brain and your pelvic floor. And then when you go to do something like running, 
you don't want to have to be thinking about your pelvic floor so much because it happens too fast. Like you might find out that you're somebody who benefits from thinking this one thing about your pelvic floor when you're running. But as a general rule, you don't want to overthink it when you're running because it's, it's too many moving parts too quickly. Um, but, um, you were asking me, um, how do you coordinate it with the other muscles? So like when you inhale, you want your diaphragm to move down. So your lungs can kind of fill up with air. Well, as your diaphragm moves down, it's pushing down on all the organs within your abdominal cavity. So, you know, your stomach, your intestines, et cetera. And that downward pressure from your diaphragm on those organs pushes outward so that your abs should relax and it pushes downward. It creates downward pressure so your pelvic floor can relax. So when you inhale, your trunk stability comes from that downward movement of your diaphragm and the pressure changes within your abdomen. And then when you exhale, your trunk stability comes from an upward lift from your pelvic floor and an inward contraction of your abs. And that's giving you not only trunk stability, but an upward pressure going the other direction that pushes your diaphragm up, that pushes the air out of your lungs. And then, you know, that cyclical pattern of inhale, exhale gives you constant trunk stability. And when you are coupling it with your breathing and you've trained your body to do it with your breathing, you don't have to think about breathing and you don't have to think about ab and pelvic floor function because you're automatically breathing and your ab and your pelvic floor function are following your breathing. But you might have to train it initially depending on your situation um, in order to get them all to be connected, in order to get it so that you're not having to think about it. Because we tie pelvic floor function to you know pregnancy and postpartum and that sort of scenario, but it doesn't have to be like, everybody's got a pelvic floor and it doesn't have to be pregnancy and postpartum for it to go awry. Like you could have hip issues. You could have abnormalities about the way that your leg functions, whether it's, you know, something congenital that you were born, whether it's the alignment of your hip, whether it's your foot itself, you know, there's so many different reasons that your pelvic floor could not um, start out functioning as normal. And then something really common that most people have experienced in their life is an ankle sprain. And an ankle sprain is changing the way we move the bottom of that leg stick. And depending on how well you recover from an ankle sprain, it might still be affecting the top of that leg stick, which is where your pelvic floor is. So an ankle sprain, even if it's a relatively minor ankle sprain, can still have, you know, up chain effects on, on your pelvic floor. And depending on your recovery, it, you might still be struggling with that and not view it as a, you know, a pelvic floor issue, or you can have surgeries, you know, whether it's an abdominal surgery or a hip surgery or knee surgery, even an ankle surgery. Um, even I've seen like people who have open heart surgery because they literally have to crack their chest open that change to their rib cage changes their diaphragm function. And you need that diaphragm to be tied to your pelvic floor and that can, can affect your pelvic floor function. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of options. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many things to consider and, uh, as runners, is there any special considerations with, with runners? Are there things we should be looking out for? Um, how, how should runners be thinking about their pelvic floor health? Um, well, I think the biggest thing is don't think that you need to have it on all the time. Like if you have anything that might be a pelvic floor complaint, whether that's 
incontinence with running, incontinence at another time. Um, it could be urinary incontinence. It could be fecal incontinence. It could even be like the inability to hold back gas. That's related to pelvic floor function because that's that sphincter control. Um, it could be hip pain. It could be back pain. Um, it could be foot or ankle problems that won't resolve from normal things. Like if you have any of those scenarios, it's probably worth considering your pelvic floor. If you have none of those scenarios, it might be worth considering your pelvic floor out of curiosity or because it is way more common than we think that it is. Um, but the biggest thing is you don't want it you don't want to hold it on all the time. You want it to respond without thinking about it to your breathing pattern. And if it's not responding without thinking about it to your breathing pattern, it might take some, you know, concerted effort and some real thought to tie those back together. And then once you tie them back together, then you can go about running without having to focus on your pelvic floor. But usually in the act of running, you're gonna think more about your breathing or more about your alignment or more about your stride length and not specifically about your pelvic floor because it does get kind of hard to go, okay, left side, right side, left side. You know, you're like, you can't contract and relax. I mean, you are, but you're not going to be thinking of it in that way in, while you're actually in the act of running. Mm -hmm. um, but once you train it to happen without thought, then you want to be able to go for a run and have it contribute and participate in, in the way that you want it to. Um, I think that's another important um, aspect to consider is like, so we talk about your pelvic floor muscles as if they're like one thing, but there's actually several muscles and all of those muscles have a left side and a right side and they function from the front and they function from the back. And so in going, you know, oh, I don't have any pelvic floor symptoms, it's probably not my pelvic floor. If you have any of these other scenarios that we've talked about, it might be worth like diving a little bit deeper and taking the time and making that effort to understand your pelvic floor better because it might be, you know, that if you can change the front, the function in the front of your pelvic floor or change the function in the back of your pelvic floor or the left or the right. And when somebody initially says that, you're like, okay, wait, I wasn't even aware that I have a pelvic floor. And now you want me to think about it and the left front, like you've got to be crazy. Like nobody can do that, but you can do that. And, and something that seems so like out in left field might really be that missing link in solving the unsolvables. There are people who have orthopedic problems and don't have pelvic floor problems. But if you have pelvic floor problems, you also have orthopedic problems like muscle and joint kind of pain because it is such a part of our core that if it's not functioning well, it's throwing something off. And so it might not look like incontinence or sexual dysfunction. It might look like this widespread pain all over the place that moves from one spot to another and nobody can solve it and everybody makes you think that you're crazy and you're not crazy <laughs> you're missing the bottom of the the whole chain and if you can if you can reconnect with that and if you can or connect with it for the first time and learn actually how it ties into your abs so the front of your pelvic floor is more connected to your ab function the back of your pelvic floor is more connected to your glute function and obviously, you know, the left side is more affected by the left side of your body and the right side by the right side of your body. And so all those little pieces, when you put the pieces together, sometimes it really does 
give you answers to something that like either you've been trying forever to solve and it won't get better, or you've been asking everybody and nobody seems to have the right answer for you. And it is a really often overlooked aspect of the conversation. I feel like, you know, maybe in the nineties, like core became this like big term, but most everybody was referring to your abs. And, you know, then gradually we started to go, well, maybe we should pay attention to what your hips are doing and like your shoulder blades. And that's also part of your core. And I don't know why we don't talk about our pelvic floors. You know, I like, there's a part of me that's like, well, in this country, maybe it's our Puritan backgrounds and like, we just can't like engage in this conversation, but it's everywhere. Like, it's not like when you go to Europe that they're like having these great pelvic floor conversations. It's everywhere. People don't talk about it. And I don't know why other than like, it is an intimate part of your body, but there are other things that we talk about. And when you talk about it <laughs> as a group of muscles, it kind of changes the weirdness, at least from my perspective. Like, I don't have to talk to you about your intimate bodily function. I can just talk to you about what those muscles do and what it feels like and what it might do if it's not functioning well. And I feel like it can be such a game changer. And for, for me personally, it answered questions that I'd had my entire life. And then in finally understanding my pelvic floor function, I was able to solve all of these issues that weren't, they weren't stopping me from doing things, but they were frustrating, you know? Mm. And once I understood my pelvic floor and that there was a front and a back and a left and a right and an up and a down and a superficial and a deep, you know, all those things it was very much a game changer and it was very much key to my postpartum recovery, to building back strength, to being able to do things now that I couldn't do before I had babies, because I understand how to, how to really engage my core as my husband's friend would say. And I was just like, what does that even mean? And now I'm like, oh, I'm not engaging my core. I need to do this, you know? So mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love, I love that you have brought this conversation to us today because it is as your passion exudes so oh, important yeah. and it's so yes. under discussed and yes. under appreciated too, in our bodies as runners, there's so many things we pay attention to, but if we're not paying attention to this, it could be causing all kinds of problems. For sure. So if someone wants to just be introduced to their pelvic floor and they're like, I don't know what it feels like to even engage, um, their pelvic floor. I had seen a, a reel that I would like to link to that you, you had, um, put it just a couple ideas of how to connect to your pelvic floor. Do you want to discuss a couple of those things here in the show? Um, yeah, so I, I, I think I have a few reels like that, so I'm not sure exactly which one you're referring to. So I'll try and like touch on a number of things, but like the really quick down and, and dirty way of like knowing that you're engaging your pelvic floor is being able to stop pee or the sensation of being able to stop pee or stop gas, which isn't saying that you should stop yourself while peeing. That's not really a very good idea. If you do it, that, that is what that contraction is. That's the contraction that we're looking for that squeezing, or it should feel like a lift when you squeeze those muscles. So like, if you're not holding back gas, or if you're not actually peeing, and you contract the muscles that you would contract to stop those things, that is your pelvic floor. But it is also tied, like we've been talking about, to so many other functions in your body. So if you kind of want to go through and think like, can you feel your pelvic floor lower when you inhale? Can you feel your pelvic floor lift 
when you exhale with effort. So like, if you're just exhaling as you are like sitting here now, your pelvic floor shouldn't really be doing a whole lot, you know? But if you go like you're blowing out uh, a candle or like you're blowing up a balloon, you should be able to feel your pelvic floor lift. Or like if you pick up something, you should be able to feel your pelvic floor lift. Um, but it also, like as your abs narrow and draw in, your pelvic floor should lift, you know, as your, and then as you relax your abs, your pelvic floor should lower. So like, don't leave off the relaxing, it's the contracting and the relaxing. Um, and then the back of your pelvic floor, I think I was saying earlier, contracts more with your glute contraction and the front of your pelvic floor contracts more with your ab contraction. And then um, like we were talking about with feet. So as you're, um, as you squeeze your bum and your feet kind of roll out into supination, right? You're, you should be contracting your pelvic floor in the back as you do that, right? And then um, generally speaking, there are certain mechanics where it doesn't necessarily always apply, but as you let your feet roll in, your pelvic floor should be relaxing. And so like if you're, um, you know, if you're twisting, if your hips are rotating in a horizontal and a transverse plane, you know, then one foot might do one way and one foot might do the other way, pronating versus supinating. And so your pelvic floor is going to kind of participate with that, contracting on one side and relaxing, relatively speaking, on the other side. And uh, yeah, so it's not like, I mean, you definitely can overthink it. You only need it to the degree that it changes your function. And there are people who, you know, don't necessarily need to give it a ton of thought because it does work reflexively for them. But if you fit one of those scenarios, it's worth learning a little bit more about it. And it's another muscle group. So like, who doesn't get excited about that? You know, like it's, it's as cool as understanding any other muscle group for the first time. It really, it really adds power and function to your, to your physical performance. So, and that's what we want. Yeah. <laughs> we want power right? and like, function. Who's not looking for that? <laughs> exactly. Who of our listeners, who of the runners out there, as you're probably running right now while you're listening, don't want power <laughs> and function. We all want that. Yeah. So important. Well, is there any other, any other tidbits you want to leave with us today, Betsy on pelvic floor health? Don't brush it off. You know, like I brushed it off for years thinking I can feel these muscles. I have no typical complaints. I don't have pelvic floor issues. And in retrospect, I wish that I had taken the time to understand how it worked and functioned years ago, because it would have, it would have changed my life for the better. Literally, um, I didn't have issues that were really stopping me from functioning, but I had some mild back pain and I didn't, I wouldn't even have called it pain. You know, I had discomfort, you know, I had mild discomfort in my neck. And I felt crooked, like my body felt wampajawed and I couldn't unwampajaw myself, you know? And no matter who I talked with, nobody had a good answer for me. And that's really what it boiled down to is my pelvic floor function on one side didn't match the other side. And once I understood that I had a center like I'd never had in my life. And that helped me build everything from the inside out on top of it. And it really like, it seems like something you don't want to talk about, but I promise like learning about it is learning about any other muscle group and it's so overlooked and it's so essential to normal, good core function. Mm -hmm. 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Betsy. And we appreciate your expertise and your time and we'll direct people to more resources via your website. Also on Instagram, you have so much great information there and we appreciate you. you sharing with us today. Anytime. Thank you. We've learned a lot from Betsy and we hope that you have too. We're running nerds and we love to know everything there is to know about running. So we're so glad that Betsy joined us today on the show. They say that ignorance is bliss, but I think ignorance is a miss. It's oh, a miss. Goodness. Why did you do that? Why did you he do doesn't that? like my jokes, but I think it's fairly clever. And if you do take away anything today, remembering that learning about our bodies and how they function, and then also just listening and becoming an intuitive runner by understanding how our body is working for us. We want everything to work in harmony. And that's how we're going to be a better runner. So thanks again to Betsy so we can better understand and evaluate our needs as runners. And I'm linking to Betsy's resources and some of her reels at a to z running.com slash episode 135. Well, fully agree that that is great information and appreciate that. Speaking of great information, let's get on to the world of running. This week in the world of running, we want to start with some A to Z runners. Very exciting. A few of our runners did the She Runs events in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ashley ran a huge PR over eight minutes for first in age group. Stephanie ran with her niece in the 10K, which was really special. And Hannah did some pacing, which Mm. we always appreciate those pacers out there helping runners achieve their goals. And then Laura ran the half marathon at Flying Pig, which is a difficult course. (laughs) Yeah. Flying Pig has like a mile plus long uphill in the course. (laughs) And then, of course, you do get to come back down it, which for many of us, true proves to be just as bad as going up it, you know, the quads <laughs> especially. Yeah. So nice work, Laura. Good job. Now we're talking about the USATF Road Mile Championships. We always think it's pretty fun when they do a, f- a full mile on the road. <laughs> it's one of those really fascinating, yeah, like for a road race, it's it's like kind of like a dead sprint as far as road yeah. race categories go and about as short of a road event as you ever see. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes there are shorter things, but um, this is pretty much it. So for the road runners, it's a sprint. For the track people, it's weird. And so it's <laughs> it's just weird. an interesting yeah. event. And in this instance in particular, the names of the winners were not necessarily like the headliners that might always win everything, yeah. kind of thing, which strong, is really strong cool. Strong runners that you do hear about coming up, but actually not ones that you hear as much with um, like uh, Olymp- the Olympics. Like, the like neither one of them are Olympians, but they're sense. really fast runners and um, they're road their road experience, you can see that that has helped them in this event, even though it's so short. So Emily LaPerry of Adidas, she won for the women. In a time of four minutes and 33 seconds. Mm. And Vince Sieti, I think I'm saying that right, of the, the Oregon Track Club, OTC Elite, one of the older pro track clubs in the country which is always kind of cool they've got a long history um so vince won for the men in a time of 404 and both of them taking home the prize purses that five thousand dollars in first place prize money Mm -hmm. which is cool it is cool i know i appreciate when there's some good prize money um the more i learned about other sports the more i realized that that's not (laughs) as much as it should be but (laughs) there (laughs) is at the same time there is a movement forward in the sport so there is more prize money available to playing super smash brothers video games than running professionally there you go 
I said runners it, love what they true. do, and this is very impressive feat for both of those <laughs> strong runners. So congrats to them. Now on to the track, where we also have some shorter racing events at Drake Relays and Penn Relays. And I do want to start with some of the highlights of Penn Relays. Penn Relays is said to be the oldest and largest track and field competition in the country. That's a little side note that I thought was interesting. History. And this was a heartwarming story. A hundred-year-old man celebrated his 100-year birthday by running the 100 meters. And that was Mr. Wright. I actually didn't put his name on there, but I posted about him on Instagram. Oh, there we go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, he So he served in World War II. And wow. he came back to he came to running after like four decades. So uh, let's see, that would be like midlife. At the age seventy six, he won in, the two hundred meters at Penn <laughs> relays, uh, and then he returned to run again this year, this weekend, uh, in the hundred meter run at age one hundred. Wait, is this the first time oh. he's come back to the Penn relays since the eighties? Uh, since he was seventy six. Oh my yeah. goodness. So what anyway, an I, I thought that yeah. that was a really exciting story. The fact that he could run 100 meters at 100 years old, that is incredible. And uh, he is an inspiration to be sure. Now, let's talk about the young ones. Jump <laughs> so all the, the way back yeah, down. I know, right? Yeah. So uh, talking about the young, 100 meter Olympic champion. 800 I think. meter Olympic champion. 800 meter. Not 100 meter. Did I say 100? You might have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a thing, Mo. Mo. Um, so we, we, you know, that we are fans of talking about Mo because she's been so exciting yeah, to watch and um, and just been, you know, not just that her performances have been exciting, but her outlook has been really uplifting. And so mm -hmm. it's been fun to watch, but not just then see her perform well, but also hear her talk about it. Which is and to be great. patient after the Olympic mm -hmm. Games, um, she what like she took a step back from competing very much uh, her indoor season was sparse um so anyway it's it's fun to see for good her reason yeah and it probably helped i think it did because she needed that time and especially coming into this high level racing that she's been doing it takes that extra special next notch that she has in order to compete at the level that she's capable of speaking of which we are <laughs> hearing more of what she's capable of because she won the 600 meter women's run handedly in the fourth fastest time in history in a time of 122.74 fourth fastest in history, in history over a world-class field yeah and once again proving her dominance by not just winning but by winning decisively yeah yeah, so that was really exciting to see. And knowing cool. that her speed is there and coming up on a world uh, championship year, it's it's amazing to have her running this well early. This is early season oh, for yeah. these athletes as they're looking for their main events to be later on, and it's exciting too because we had we saw another U.S. runner up there at the top, Ajay Wilson, who was third. <clears throat> In the event, uh, and she also were in a really strong race, mm. and it wasn't till the end that a thing Mo just closed on the field and just took it away. So um, Ajay Wilson also ran very strong. So that's great to see for the U.S. team coming up on a, a world championship year. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Jamaica's Natoya Gould was, yes. second was second in the another top ten all time performance. Yeah, she was number nine all time in the world's mm. history. There we go. Mm -hmm. And and even doing that, so not. Ninth all time in the world in world history, and I think Mo had her by almost two seconds. Yeah, it's crazy in a six hundred <laughs> meters. That's that's incredible. A, you know that margin is it's large once you get to distances that are that short. Something else. Yeah. Okay, now speaking of interesting and yeah. not common distances or events to talk about, or at least for us to talk about, 
Racewalk. Racewalk. And the records that are not always um, chased after. You know, so every event has its kind of like its focus distance because of what the Olympics does with yeah. it or something like that. So in the racewalk, it's the 50K and the 20K, which are which both are long. long. So racewalking is a long distance event most of the time. Right. So here at Penn Relays, there was the 5,000 meter race walk on the track, which is unusual. It's not unusual because they still do it. Um, they do it at different events periodically through the year. But for these high level race walkers, they're typically training for the long distance 20K, 50K, races. Right. So Nick Christie sliced more than five seconds off of the American record. And that put him at a time of 1923.30. Solid. And that's legendary race walker Tim Siemens' record that he broke. Yep. And that was set in 2003. So it's been a while since this record has been broken. And I did want to mention that others did beat his time because it put him more than two minutes um, from the next finisher, which means since he sliced five minutes off, um, there were other people. Five five seconds off. I'm sorry. Oh, I see. <laughs> yes. I'm I'm wrong about he that. He won by a ton is what she's a, trying to he say. He won by a ton. He won by a ton. He won by a ton. Which is not terribly surprising when you're going that fast in the race walk. Yeah. Now, speaking of legendary people in the sport, um, and he's he's earned his status of legendary by uncommon means. So um, middle distance star Eric Sawinski is most known for pacing world-class races mm-hmm. like he's the guy they call all over the world and we're not kidding when we say that all, um, over. all over the world they call eric swinsky when they want someone to run say world record pace for a mile and do it f- for like a thousand meters right because he's a really fast 800 meter runner who also happens to just pace really well yeah. so eric swinsky usually paces but not always <laughs> which is really kind of fun when he actually finishes a race and and goes in and you know yeah. Hacks it with some top-end guys. So at Drake Relays, he achieved his 200th, 200th <laughs> sub-150 800-meter run. Yeah. Yeah. That is very, very impressive. You know, we talk about consistency, and that's the reason why he is paid the big bucks. I hope big bucks. Oh, he's paid. To go, yeah. yep. to go and pace these events because someone who can run consistently under 150 is a valuable resource to those who need somebody in a high-pressure moment to help pace them. But in addition to that, the the feat in and of itself of doing it 200, 200. times – and we don't know if that's including wanna, like his that... in race um, pacing for like a, a right. 1500. We don't really know if it's including those or not. Um, we hope that it is because it does still count. He still ran that 800 under 150. Um, but we do want to mention that the winner of that uh, race was Olympian Isaiah Jewett. And he ran 148.84 and Sawinski clocked 149.93. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very fun stuff. So fast stuff at the Drake and Penn relays, which are two different events for clarity, Mm -hmm. um, which is always good. Now, since we've been talking about short things, let's also talk about long things. Long, but still fast. (laughs) And this is the big reveal. So we asked you to think about at the beginning of the episode, how fast per mile did you think the 100K record? So this is Alexander Sorokin. You've heard him on our uh, podcast before. Well, not actually him but you've heard us talk about him on the podcast best known for breaking many different (laughs) ultra records um and published by athletics weekly a great source on alexander sorokin in general um now he's his track record in the sport is unbeatable 
unparalleled. Um, he he has broken nearly every one of the major ultra records. Um, and so when he breaks a record, it's not necessarily the kind of thing that people are like, I can't believe he did that anymore. It's really cool. But when he goes this fast for this long, it just still manages to bring my jaw to the floor. So let's go to um, now the let's uh let's see it's the total time of six hours nine minutes and 14 seconds for 100k which is 66 miles plus or minus um that was the world best broken yep broke it thank you broken broken japan's now kazami's record um which only stood for a couple of years but uh running a new time of 605 41 Mm -hmm. so it's sorokin's time and in order to run six hours and five minutes for 100 kilometers, you need to average 339 per kilometer, which translates to about five minutes and 53 seconds per mile. That's so nasty. 5.53 per he, mile wait, for six plus hours. I just, I yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> that. He is running, yeah, over six hours that quickly. At 5.53 pace. I just can't even fathom. It's amazing. Sorkin is just in a league of his own at this point. It would seem to be so. And uh, just as a side note, because this is what tends to happen in ultramarathons, because he was running so fast uh, for 100K, he also broke the six-hour record, which mm-hmm. these kinds of things are not necessarily like standalone records. They usually happen within these other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just... You know, stands to reason that he did indeed do that. So. Yeah. And I do want to yep. mention, too, that we don't have time in the show to break down the entire event. This was at, at uh, in Bedford, United Kingdom, and it was on a track. And there were other age group world records and things that were broken. So you can head on over to azrunning.com and click on that uh, Athletics Weekly post that we have linked there. And you can read more about the amazing things that happened at that event. If you aren't enthralled enough. <laughs> I certainly love this kind of stuff. So, well, that's why we do it on the show, because we, we think it. it is super exciting and fun to know what's going on in the world of running. These are the flavors of the sport. Mm-hmm. And just in case you have not tasted enough good flavor in the sport, just remember that you can find us in all the places where you find good content we're on the social media places we're on youtube certainly 80srunning.com to find everything that we're doing right there and then as we like to say if in finding all the good information you realize that it's not quite enough for what you need for your running that's where we would love to engage directly with you either you know just post comments and questions on the places where you see the stuff or certainly head to a2zrunning.com and look for the word coaching because there may just be a service or support we could offer that might meet a need more effectively for you. And irregardless, we would That love is not a real word. Okay, regardless of whether you need that kind of support or not, we do still want you to connect as part of the A to Z running community. So if you have your questions, remember every month we do a Q&A. So please send those over to us, engage with us. We love that's part of the, our favorite thing about A to Z running. That is, is literally our favorite thing the about the podcast. So yeah. please reach out. We would love to hear from you. And again, if you see us at races, please say hi. We want to get to know you more. Even if I am scowling and frowning, <laughs> because that's just actually what my face normally looks like, especially that when I'm focusing. That could be true. That could be true. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us here on the A to Z running podcast today and have a great week. <laughs>